One thing I've done over the years of being a pastor is, I, the last several years, is I've usually had a group of men that I meet with during the week. And so um, one thing we do at the start of, like let's say a bunch of guys are getting into a group for the first time, kind of a good icebreaker question I've used over the years with guys has been, why don't you share your greatest injury, your greatest like bodily harm story? And so if you ask my kids, like I usually don't start a competition unless I think I have a chance to win that competition. So like a couple of mine that I might toss out there to start with would be a time I was playing basketball at the field house when it used to be open, like anybody could go and play games. And I dislocated my kneecap. So like it was sitting about there on the side of my leg. And at that time, it was a Friday afternoon, all six courts in the field house shut down because everybody wanted to come over and see the guy's leg with his kneecap over there. So I usually just kind of toss that one out there for a primer, you know, and so, but if Chris Lydon is ever in my group, I get beat. Like there's just hands down. And so if you know Chris here, like for the first couple years, the story he rolled out was, when he was younger and was working construction on a bridge, he was on a platform and he actually slipped and fell off and he was free falling until a piece of rebar caught him in the arm and he was just hanging uh, in midair by a piece of rebar in his arm. So usually that story, like it's, it's game over there. But for some reason, Chris held back with an even worse story like a couple years later. Like he goes, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you guys this one. And so there was, a, this one's even worse. So like there was a time where he was fishing and he was out on a boat and his line had caught a snag. So like he's trying to just jerk it free like this and all of a sudden like the line comes free and the hook comes all the way and it hooks him in the eye. So I think hook in the eye is probably, you know, now if you got one that tops that, you can come tell me afterwards. So, but um, so the, what's the point with that? So the point is, uh, for a bunch of guys, like it seems like the longer you do life, like eventually there's something that's going to happen to us. In fact, I saw Tad over there still recovering from his rotator cuff surgery. I had that about eight years ago or so, and when a friend of mine had me like go through the MRI or whatever, he said, oh yeah, or maybe during the surgery, oh, while we were in there, we saw a lot of other stuff you've been probably doing to your shoulder over the years. And he said, yeah, when you get to be about our age and you do the kind of things we used to do, like there's, there's just bound to be some flaws in your your body anymore. So thanks a lot. You know, there we go with that one. So, um, but that's also true for us, like on the heart level, like to live this life, there are things that are just going to keep dinging and keep wounding your heart. And so maybe for you personally, you know, Thomas mentioned one about his years growing up, or, or maybe it's even just vicariously through friends of yours. And you see them go through hard things. It just seems like in this life, whether it be in our body or in our heart or soul, like there's just different hard things that can come our way. And so I'm really excited about this book we're studying this summer. And so if you're new at Parkview and you saw that word in the back, you're probably wondering what in the world is a Habakkuk. So it's actually a book in the Old Testament. It's called Habakkuk. And so I should have warned you, like if you want to follow along in your Bible, I should have told you a couple minutes ago, start looking for it. It's a small book in the back of the Old Testament. It's totally legal to use your table of contents if you want to, to find out where Habakkuk is. So if you want to turn there, but it's, a, it's such a short book, but it's got such a powerful message. And the main question that I think Habakkuk is, is answering for us is like, what do you do when it just doesn't seem like life's making any sense? Where it seems like God isn't noticing, things are going bad, things are hard, and God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. So what do you do in that situation? And so what um, 
What's really refreshing about Habakkuk is he's, he's, he's one of the prophets in the Old Testament, and most books of prophecy or most prophets would get a message from God and then would turn around and deliver it to the people. What's different about Habakkuk is we are eavesdropping in a conversation between God and a prophet. Like this conversation's going back and forth. We talked a little bit last week about maybe being Iowans, maybe a lot of us, that we tend to be Iowa nice. That maybe you can't talk back to God or you can't ask God the hard questions. Habakkuk apparently wasn't from Iowa. Like he just let it rip. Like he's going back and forth with God. And so what I think we can really learn from Habakkuk this summer is what do you do? When things are hard, when you're getting banged up or the people in your life are and it doesn't seem like God's caring, like, what do you do with this? And, and by the time we get to the end of the book, like I said last week, it's like if you've ever climbed a mountain and you've started at the bottom and you've looked at the top, you go, man, how are we ever going to get up there? Like, so maybe you're in the valley this morning. Maybe you are hurting. Maybe people around you are hurting. You go, how in the world can I get from here to like where Habakkuk's going to take us is to the top of a peak where he can say, you know what? Come what may in my life, I'm going to be trusting God. Man, God is good. And, and so like, but there are times where you're more down in the valley. You go, there's no way I could do that. And so Habakkuk's going to be like our, our tour guide in these four weeks to show us how do you go from just being blunt, honest with God about the hard things to a place where we can still, no matter what comes, praise him. And so um, I just wonder if even as we start this morning, like what is that issue for you? Like what is the thing you have been praying for maybe for so long or that person you care so much about and it doesn't seem like there's much movement in their lives? Like what, what is that? And so as I pray before we jump into this passage, why don't, why don't you pray first and just pray that God would teach you something this morning and then go ahead and pray for, again, that, that thing or that person uh, that is just on your heart this morning, like where you might be tempted to ask, God, what are you doing? Or God, don't you see what's going on? So you pray first, and then I'll pray, and then we'll study this great passage. God, I thank you for your Bible and how real it is and how a guy like Habakkuk uh, understands what it's like to live in a world where things don't always make sense or where we get hurt, the people around us get hurt, and it might seem like you don't know or you don't care. And so I thank you that we get to eavesdrop in this conversation. This man who lived 600 years before Jesus is still speaking really clearly to us today. So speak to your people, God, through your word. And, uh, and help us today. In your great name we pray, amen. Okay, so when you don't understand what's going on, first thing Habakkuk's gonna show us to do is you cling to what is true about God. You cling to the attributes of God, okay? So let me jump in at verse 12, and let me just set it up. What's just happened in the first 11 verses is that Habakkuk has been crying out to God, saying, God, don't you see what's happening to your people. And there were a couple things. Uh, at this time, God's people was basically had been whittled down to two tribes. It was a very small country compared to what it used to be. And now there were some great threats around them, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, uh, and the Babylonians. But what was even a bigger issue to Habakkuk was how God's people were living. Like they were completely ignoring God. Its leaders were abandoning God's word. They were mistreating each other. The powerful were abusing uh, the poor. And so all of this was just driving Habakkuk crazy. And he's saying, 
God, don't you see? And so then God said, oh yeah, I see. And I've got a great plan for you, Habakkuk. It's, it would blow you away if you got to see my plan. And Habakkuk's like, oh boy, yeah, what is it? And so then he told him, well, the plan is uh, the Babylonians are going to come and they're actually going to invade you and they're going to judge you guys and you guys are going to be taken away into exile. So he's, <laughs> in our passage today, Habakkuk has just heard some horrifying news. And so how does he respond to that? We see in verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So he has just received some staggering news, and his first response is he's trying to grab to something secure, all right? So maybe, remember a few months ago, or unfortunately it might have even been <laughs> just a month ago, when we had cold weather and ice on sidewalks, like maybe you're just plopping along and all of a sudden, like you're on a slippery surface. Like the first thing you're doing is grabbing for something or someone, pulling down with you, whatever it is. But like, that's kind of what's happening to Habakkuk. Like he has just heard some daunting news. How could this be? And so he's just grasping for something that he can cling to and that he can hold on to. And what he's doing is he's rehearsing in his mind what he knows is true about God. God is eternal. He's from everlasting. God is my God. Like, there's a personal connection here. He even uses the word Lord. It's the Hebrew word Jehovah. Like, there's a covenant relationship here. God is faithful. God is loyal. He's my God. Uh, there's, there's one where he's talking about how pure God is. My God is holy. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make promises and then break them off. Like he's consistent. He even refers to God as his rock, that God is a place of safety, of refuge, of protection. So that, that's kind of his knee-jerk response. Like he's hearing some horrifying news and right away he's grabbing on to what he knows is true. And I, I, I ask you this morning, like, what do you, what is it that you grab onto when you first encounter, like, something that just isn't right or something that's making your knees buckle or what, what do you grab onto? And I would encourage you uh, to have some go-to verses from the Bible that you can cling to. And so maybe if you're new to the Bible this morning, you might say, well, where do I start? Let me, let me give you a few. And then I know there's others of you that You've read this book and you cling to this book. You probably have some of your favorite places, but let me just share a couple of mine. So in Isaiah 41, there's two really powerful verses I love to cling to where God says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand for I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear I will help you. Did you see that two times God offers to be our helper? I mean, there's been times literally where I'm out on a walk and I'm praying and I'm just, just really frustrated or just really need God. Like literally, I'll just lift up my right hand and say, God, would you take my hand and your hand and just let's go. Get me through this. I need you. I need your help. So that's a good place for me. Here's another one. It's Psalm 4610 where God says, be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. It's almost like when we're starting to freak out, God's going, shh, okay, I got this, okay? Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted 
among the nations. Like, I am God. Trust me. Be still. Rest in me. You feel like God is just quieting us and inviting us close to himself. Probably my favorite is Romans 8, 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? Guys, when we were at our greatest moment of need, we needed a savior to rescue us from our sin. God made the greatest sacrifice he could ever make by having Jesus die for us. If he's already met my greatest need through the greatest expression of sacrifice, man, anything else I need is easy for him to meet. It's much simpler for him to meet. And he is for me, not against me. So, so I don't know what yours are, but guys, you need, you need, because we're, we're in a world where we're going to get rocked, where we're going to slip, where things are going to hurt. And so we need to have those truths about God that we can cling to. And so that's what Habakkuk teaches us first, is he is so confused, he is so frustrated, but he's going to cling to what he knows is true about God. But then the next thing he does, I think, is, is important for us too. He goes to God and then he watches for God, okay? So pick it up in verse 14. So he continues and he says, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man who is more righteous than he? And so there's a few more verses where, again, you might read this and go, Whoa, can, can you really talk to God like this? Like he's, he's calling God, he's accusing God of not paying attention. God's just being idle and he's just not even noticing what's going on. And again, you see, this is a theme that you see in the Psalms. In fact, there's a title for those songs. They're called Psalms of Lament, where you'll see David or you'll see other prophets in the Old Testament just, just cry out to God and be very real and very raw with him. And so, and so already he's saying, God, why are you looking at the Babylonians and they're coming and they're doing this to us. Like, how could you do that? And so he continues on in verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. Uh, he brings all of them up with a hook. Now he, he's talking about the Babylonians. He brings them all up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and he makes offerings to his dragnet for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? So there's, you know, there's a lot in there and he's talking about that particular situation. But there's some themes you see in what he's crying out about that are probably similar themes in, in your prayers to God or your, maybe when you're confused about what's going on or that you see in other of the lament psalms. I mean, he's feeling weak and defenseless here. He, he says, we're like fish. I mean, just picture a bunch of fish just kind of flopping around on the ground and the enemies are coming in with, with hooks and nets and they're just swooping us up. So a lot of times when we're freaking out or when we're uncertain about life, it's we feel weak, we feel defenseless, we feel um, some other themes. Like he's looking at unrighteous people and it seems like they're flourishing, like they're doing great. And so sometimes your laments might be like, well, God, how come this is happening to me? What about those guys? Or what about that guy? Or why, why does it seem like I'm the only one that's going through these hard times? And so even though their situation is unique, and you probably don't have Babylonians invading your house today and hauling you away in a net. There are some definite themes that you see that, that maybe would make your lament kind of cries to God as well too. God, I don't see any hope here. God, we feel defenseless. God, why them? 
why not, you know, why is this happening to me? And so what God wants us to know, I think from Habakkuk's example, from other places in the Old Testament, is that your God loves you and he wants you to pour your heart out to him. And we talked a little bit about this last week. Like I am far, far from a good, perfect father. But yet if something was going on in my kid's life, even if it was me that was the issue, I want to hear it. Like if this, is, if this is hurting them, if it's dragging them down, man, I want them to get that out. How much more so your loving father in heaven would love for you to, to, to share with him what is going on. And so I think it's so important for us to do this. Our God is a personal God. He wants us to have that trusting relationship with him. And I think what happens is when we keep these these doubts or these worries inside, I think they just slowly begin to erode at our confidence in God, in his goodness or in his greatness. Like if, if we're just seeing unanswered prayer, if we're seeing hard things over and over again, I think we just maybe just begin to back off a little bit on is God really good or does God, is God really in control? Is he really powerful? And so maybe we start praying less or we lose our passion for him or we don't really talk about him much with people around us. God says, you know what? Let's get that, let's get that out. Let's be real and let's just tell me, what is it? What, 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 you know, what's on your heart this morning that, that, uh, that is just really hurting you? And so that's what God wants. And I think what we're seeing in our culture today is that we're in a culture where people may take hard times in their lives and not just hold it in, but just completely walk away from God too. That there are more and more people just kind of abandoning God altogether. The New York Times two months ago did, a, did an amazing feature on this. Um, it, it focused on a woman named Amber Scora. And so she talked, the title of, it was kind of an op-ed written by her. And she said, the title of it was, Grief Without God, I Lost the One Thing That, I, that Could Have Offered Me Answers. And so her story was this, that when she was in her 20s, she decided, I'm just done with faith. I'm done with my religion. I'm going to go do things on my own. And for a season in her life, she was really enjoying that. No, she felt like no restrictions, no one to answer to. I was figuring out things on my own, didn't really need God until in her 30s, something just absolutely horrific happened to her. And it was at that point she realized, now what do I do with this? Like, where do I take hardship in my life? And she reflected back when she was 18, her father died. And that was when she still had a faith. And she remembers at that time being very sad but also having the hope and the things that her faith taught her about an afterlife and about where her father was. But now in her 30s, with that removed from her life, she was just baffled. What do I do with this? Where do I find hope? In fact, she said these things. She said, today, I no longer trade in certainty anymore. If we can't even grasp how we got here, how can we know with any certainty where, if anywhere, we go when we died? And so really Amber is landing on one of the key questions in life. Like, why are we here? Like, are we truly just here by accident? But I would say everything within our beings would, would oppose that, whether we say we have a faith or not. Because I think once we see injustice or once injustice is being done to us or there's pain inflicted to us or others, there's something in us that just wells up and says, that's not right. Like someone do something. I think we've been created in the image of God to know that there is a God, that there is a purpose, there is a design, there is justice out there. And so, and so my, you know, my, my caution to people like Amber would be, instead of just pushing God aside in the hard times, uh, when you do that, you're doubly stuck. Like you're going through the hard time, but then you have nowhere to take that. 
You have no hope for dealing with that. So what God would encourage us instead is to continue to lean into him, even when there is pain, even when we don't understand it, to tell him that, bring him out, continue to go to him and realize that our God can take the most horrific things and still do beautiful, powerful things through them. In fact, we, we talked a little bit about this last week, that if your only slice of the life of Jesus Christ was on Good Friday, that's the only part about the life of Jesus that you knew, and you saw this man who everyone you know, was claiming to be the sinless son of God, and you saw him hanging on a cross, being taunted and, and mocked and beaten, and then dying on the cross, and that was all you knew, like you, you would be just bewildered. You would be like, that, that is absolutely not fair. Like that is, in all of history, the most unfair, the most unjust thing that has ever happened. But when you pull back from just that one day and you see the plan of eternity, you see how God used that most horrific event in the life of this planet to now bring about the greatest blessing available to everyone on this planet, that Jesus died, rose again from the dead, defeated sin and death, our greatest enemies, and now offers life to anyone who believes in him. And so, and so our father would say, cast your cares on me because I care for you. And so Habakkuk's doing that. He's leaning into God. He's not running from him. He's not stuffing it, but he's just telling God straight up, what's going on? Like, are you just sitting, are you just sitting idly by when all these things are happening? And so, uh, there's, there's an interesting story that Jesus told too. He told two stories about prayer, like how we're supposed to pray. One of them seems kind of obscure. It's in Luke 18, and he tells a story about a widow who needed something, needed some justice. Something was wrong, and she needed the attention of a judge. And in this story, Jesus described the judge as someone who didn't care about God, and he didn't care about people. But this widow, day after day, kept pleading her case to the point where uh, she was so annoying to this judge that he finally just gave her whatever she was asking for, right? And it wasn't because he cared about her or because he was good. He was just tired of her, right? And so it's really interesting. At the end of that, Jesus says, you know, when the Son of Man comes back, is he going to see faith on the earth? Am I going to see anybody who's faithful? So you dig into that parable and go, wait, what's Jesus saying? He's certainly not saying that God is like that judge because God does love us. God is fair and just, right? And so, but his point is, when Jesus comes back to earth and, and looks, for, looks for his people, is he going to see a people that are relentlessly, day after day, coming back to the Father, pleading their case, just like that widow did in the story? And Jesus equates that with faith. That is going to be a sign of faith. That even when prayers are going unanswered, even when it seems things aren't changing, that these people are continuing to come to God over and over again, just like that persistent widow. And so Jesus says, will there be faith on the earth? Habakkuk modeled that for us. He took it to God. But then I love how verse 1 kind of ends this section or this point is that you go to God and then you watch for God. And so verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I will take my stand uh, at my watch post, and I will station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what God will say to me, 
and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So these are all military terms that in the day there'd be towers and there'd be someone whose job it was to be on the top of the tower and to watch for enemies approaching and then announce it to the rest of the people. And in fact, the prophets often played that kind of role. It was almost like they were in a tower and they were the ones calling out God's people, either warning them about disobedience or warning them about ways that they're going astray. But it's almost like Habakkuk is turning his focus from the people. Now he's just took, he's turning his focus to God. He said, God, I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait and see what you're going to do about this. All these things I've been talking to you about, I'm going to watch and wait to see what you're going to do. And so he models for us, you, you express your prayers, you express your concerns, your hardships to God, and then you watch. You watch and see what he's going to do. This guy, Habakkuk, there's different people that, you know, some kind of detect kind of a cynical tone in him. I, I just don't. I can't see that. I think this is a faithful man who's just being honest with God, and then he still has hope in God because he's watching and waiting uh, for God to work. And so um, he's choosing not to keep his focus just on the circumstances, but he's choosing to get his eyes up and watch and wait for God to do something, all right? He's praying, he's complaining at times, but he's looking for God to work. And I think that's a great model for us. And so God, in his grace, responded to Habakkuk, just like God in his grace is going to respond to us as well. So let's look at what what happened next. So verse 2, chapter 2, Habakkuk says, The Lord answered me, and he said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Okay, so again, maybe kind of some terminology that would have been more common in his day. God is saying, okay, get, get out uh, some material that you can write on and it's going to be durable because this message is going to be carried from village to village, from group to group because this is my word to my people and this is my hope for my people. And so, so God responded and this message was to bring hope to the people. And so I was thinking in just the contrast to us today here in 2019 uh, compared to Habakkuk 600 years before the time of Christ. Like God is giving a word to Habakkuk's contemporaries to give them hope in what they're facing. And so maybe it was kind of the last couple chapters or so like in our Bibles, it's like maybe a page here that's being written down on something and delivered around. And that was to bring hope to God's people. You guys, just, just imagine how advantaged we are moving forward. To, we just don't have one page that God has given to us to be carried around and to be studied and to be clung to for hope. Uh, he's given us his whole book. Like we know so much more now about God's plan and about Jesus and the, the gospel and the death and resurrection of Jesus and that Jesus is coming again. You guys, if that one page from God to Habakkuk was bringing hope to his people, how much, how, mu- how much more is available to us that God wants us to know what he's doing? He wants us to know who he is and who's in charge and who really cares for us and who really is all-powerful. I just, this is a, it's a friendly invitation into making sure we are, we are digging into this book Like this is going to give us perspective. Even in our darkest of days, there are some powerful things that God still speaks to us from his word. Guys, it's summer, and I know we kind of maybe go in slack mode in the summer. Man, I would say summer's the time to dial this up, to make sure you're reading this book, to make sure you're getting it into your life. Could I also say, like as Habakkuk was applying this, 
This message was meant to be taken to a group of people. That group hear the message, and then that messenger would go to the next group and the next group. Like this wasn't like each individual. It was meant to be big letters, strong document, go and proclaim to groups. Like what another invitation to us too, that make sure that in your Christian journey, you're not doing this alone, even not just with you and your Bible, but what about you, your Bible, and a group of people that you are just doing this life with, that you're uh, in community with, that when there's hard things going on, they're praying for you, you're praying for them. And so just, just a reminder of a healthy rhythm to make sure is in your life, that you're in this book and that you're in other people's lives, right? So, so that's how God responds first. He answers when he's crying out, and God has done the same thing for us. He's given us this book, and he's given us a church. He's given us community, right? So then God says, okay, there's three things in this response he wants them to know. The first one is, you just gotta wait. You gotta be patient, okay? Verse three, uh, for still the vision awaits. It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So the first thing God is urging him is like, my plans do happen. My plan will be fulfilled. You need to be patient. You need to wait. And we hate that. We hate waiting, right? So, but there will be gaps between your prayer and God's answer. You, you may have some cool stories about, man, I prayed for something, it happened right away. Like, that's, that's cool. I've probably got a few of those too. I tend to forget those. And I, I tend to remember the ones I've been praying for and I still haven't seen anything. There may be gaps between your prayer and God's answer. But our God is a God who is faithful and who encourages us to be patient. I Googled the word patience yesterday and I got set, or 312 million responses in 0.79 seconds. That's what we want, right? So we want to ask God a question and then boom, there's 312 million answers from God about what he's up to, right? So that's what we want. We used to think Amazon was awesome and then we needed Amazon Prime. Now we need Amazon now. Like so there's just nothing in us or in our culture that's in this wait or trust or let God be God mode. Like we got to get it done now. So even to the point, you guys, like we are as a culture now, like beginning to just kind of push God aside and say, God, we don't need you. What if we start defining marriage? What if we start defining what fulfillment's gonna look like sexually? What if we start defining that if we get more and more stuff, even stuff we can't afford, um, we're still gonna just go ahead and go into debt and buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't really know. Like, and that's gonna really satisfy us. So like just all these things where our culture is just kind of shoving God aside, doing its own thing, and you gotta ask, like, how's that working? for us. And you look at a lot of the metrics of measuring happiness, contentment in our culture, and really throughout the demographics, throughout the ages, um, despair, uh, depression, even suicide. You just see those rates climbing. And God, you know, is, is encouraging us, saying, trust me, cling to me, uh, wait for me. I have a plan, and you can trust me. And so, um, one thing, I, I hope you noticed this earlier, and I'm going to use this analogy. So I've used this several times in the past. It's been a while since I have. So this rope goes all the way to that end of the stage, 
It does, really, right? See it there? Yeah. And then it goes all the way over to that end of the stage, too. So, and that, let's say that represents eternity. Like God, God is God, all the way eternity past, all the way eternity future, God is God. Okay, so I pick up this rope, and let's say there's a little speck on this rope that represents 2019, okay? Or even this speck on the rope could represent what, what do we say? What's a good span for us these days? 80 years? Ray's already beaten that. 90 years? Uh, 100 years, right? So, uh, like, let's say, let's be generous. We're going to go 100 years on this thing. You guys, we're still just a little speck on this line of all of eternity. And so, and so there's times where when, when we're not getting things done our way and all that, you know, we're kind of looking at this and going like, well, from my vantage point, God, you're not doing your work. Or God, it just, just isn't working. Or why should I trust you, God? And so when you look back, like if you noticed, one of the things Habakkuk praised about God was that he is a God from everlasting. Like he is eternal. It's not like he's coming and going and some seasons he's good and some seasons he's in control. Like he's from everlasting, a rock to us. He's loyal to us. He's a faithful God. And so God has been good all the way back in eternity past. God is going to be good all the way into eternity future. God has been working a plan from there to there. And so here we are in our little speck. And I think what God is calling us to is to a place of humility. Like you don't have all the answers. Like you cannot see everything that is going on. I am working a plan. Be patient. Like you keep trusting and you watch and you see what I'm going to do uh, in in your lives. So um, we've got to ask, are we living for the line? Or are we living for the dot? And so, and so he's saying, be patient. And the next thing is that God really lays, it's the biggest question you got to answer. Kind of gives us two choices. How are you going to respond in general with your whole life? And it's in verse four. And guys, this is, it's really cool that this verse four, even though it's kind of tucked away in the Old Testament by this guy named Habakkuk, three K's in his name, a guy that you really don't know much about. This principle really permeates all of scripture. It, this one verse is one of the most repeated verses from the Old Testament in the New Testament. And so let's just read it, verse four. Behold, his soul is puffed up, talking about Babylon. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So basically God's saying, you know what? you know what, Habakkuk, you, and tell your people this, is you've got two choices about how you're going to live your life. In this season where you don't understand what's going on, where it seems like I'm not paying attention, there's, there's two responses. You either live by pride or you live by faith. And so um, it's, it is so true, you guys, that when, our, when things are going good for us, we just can kind of cruise along and, you know, maybe we don't really get a true indicator of our faith. What is our faith in? Is it in the stuff that's really going well or is it really in God? But when our lives get rocked and things are starting to fall apart, that's where you really start seeing, are you, are you really trusting God or not? And God is saying, you know what, even in that hardest time, you got two choices. You're either gonna trust yourself. You know, I got this. I'm just gonna push God aside. I can just kind of work my way through this. Um, or it's gonna be the other side. God, I'm gonna trust you. God, I'm gonna obey you. God, I'm gonna be humble before you. And, and what God is inviting us into and what God is telling us is that the way to find life is going to be through the path of faith. Put your faith in God and that's when you find life. But when you're puffed up, when you're arrogant, I don't need God, God doesn't know what he's doing, I'm going to do this on my own, that's what leads to death. Uh, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And God is inviting us into that, that life of faith. And so I just want to wrap up by, by showing you two places 
that this verse appears in the New Testament. It's pretty cool. So one is in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And Paul's speaking there and he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. And then there's our Habakkuk verse, right? The righteous will live by faith. So this passage and another one um, in Galatians chapter 3 kind of are teaching this. If you want to be in relationship with this God who is in control of all things, even when you don't understand it, if you want to be in relationship with, with him, that will come through faith in Jesus Christ. Like that's how you are declared righteous. That's how you belong to this God. It's going to be through faith in Christ. It's not you doing the best you can. It's not you trying to make your good outweigh your bad or be better than everybody else. Um, but it's you just admitting, I, I can't be in a relationship with God. I need Jesus who died for me, who has defeated sin and death. And I put my faith in him that when you do that, then you could, like Habakkuk, say God is your God, that God is your refuge. And so how important is that to square up with that this morning? Because you have no guarantee what's coming up in our lives, what's coming up, or even what you're going through right now, to, to stop trying to go through this life on your own and your own power and to know that for sure you can be in relationship with God now through the rest of this life and for all of eternity. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous will live by faith, all right? And so what a beautiful day to do that on Father's Day. I mean, maybe it wouldn't be your normal table conversation at lunch today, but, but dads, how beautiful it would be for your kids, your family to know for sure that your faith is in Jesus Christ and that, that, he is, that he is your savior. Like just the confidence and the hope that would bring your family or, or, um, or any children here today to just, you know, I don't know if your parents know that for sure about where you stand or, or as you gather today with your friends like, and family, just to make that clear. Like, do we, all, do we all get this? Do we all understand what Jesus is offering? I, I, I love the inclusivity of the gospel because he says everyone who believes it's not like just, just the religious people or the good people. Like it's anyone who knows they desperately need Jesus to be their savior. So, so that's the first kind of way that that verse from Habakkuk is used in the New Testament to make it clear. How do you know you have a relationship with God? It's through faith in Jesus Christ, all right? But I want to show you one other, one other way that verse is used. And it speaks to Christians who are going through a really hard time. So it's in Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 32, and he says this, uh, the author says, uh, remember those earlier days after you received the light, so this is after you became Christians, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For now you'll see they actually quote verses three and four from Habakkuk chapter two. But he says, for in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. 
and, but my righteous one shall live by faith. So what the author of Hebrews did is grab that same concept from the book of Habakkuk from a group of people being on the front end invited by God, hey, it's going to get hard, but walk with me. You see the same thing being applied by believers in Hebrews chapter 10, that in the midst of suffering, that in the midst of insults and persecution, they lived by faith. Like they weren't cowering in fear and they weren't like hiding and just freaking out all the time. They lived by faith to the point where not just were they fine, but they were fine enough to go and start helping others that were going through hardship. Like that's putting the reality of God on display that when we go through hardship, the righteous live by faith. Like we don't stop living. Like we don't stop having an impact for God or we don't start or stop putting God on display just because things are getting hard or because we're suffering. But so much life is being poured into us by putting our faith in God, that he's in charge, that he knows what he's doing, that even in the midst of adversity, God is freeing you not to live in fear, but to come alongside those who are imprisoned, those who are suffering, those who are going through hard times. You are clearly then putting the, the reality and the power of the gospel on display. And that is uh, what our minor prophet friend from back in the white pages of your Old Testament is encouraging us to do today, to be a people who live by faith. And so what I, what I, just to wrap us up, I think what, what can you do with this chapter today? I, I would encourage you to take what Habakkuk just showed us this morning and kind of use that as a, a sample of what your time with God could look like in the midst of a hard time, like what a prayer could look like when you're going through hard times. And I, I even want to wrap up my time with you, just actually doing that with you, okay? I want to guide you into a time of prayer. And so let's start with just, you can just close your eyes and it's just you talking to God right now. And could you start with just telling God, um, what are some things you know are true about him? Just tell him, what do you know it's just absolutely true about him. He is your rock. He's your refuge. Go ahead and talk to him. What are some of your truths about God you just cling to? You do not have to be afraid. He's your helper. He's faithful. He's good. He's eternal. He is for you. He's not against you. He's already provided for your greatest need with the greatest act of sacrifice by giving Jesus for you. Now, anything else you need, he can easily give you. So you've just praised him. You've just told him things that are true about him. And what if now you... you you took that next step that Habakkuk did and just be honest with him about the pain, about prayers you've been praying and you just haven't seen anything yet or people you care deeply about that are just hurting. Just, just go there with God. Just tell him what's on your heart. What suffering is just, just weighing you down? Your suffering, someone you care about. Bring them to God's attention. God, hear me. God, please respond. God, do something. 
And then there, was, there, was a, there were two options that God laid before us today. We either live in pride or we live in faith. And so if you've been kind of caught this morning that, you know what, God, I've been living in pride. I haven't been praying to you. I've kind of given up on you. I just have kind of lost my passion. I've stopped asking you for this. Um, maybe this is a time to just kind of confess, God, I've been doing it my way and not your way. So I confess my pride to you. Maybe this is a time though too where you just express faith and confidence in him. God, I'm gonna watch for you, God, to work. I'm gonna put my faith in you, God, that you will hear this prayer, that you will respond, that you will intervene, that you will bring justice, that you will bring help. So just cry out to him in faith. God, I wanna see you move. God, I'm watching for you to work. Help me trust you. And if we could wrap this time up just by thanking Jesus that your faith in what Jesus has done for you is what sets you free from fear, from worry, and what really frees you to go and help, to go and come alongside those that are suffering, those that are hurting. And so just thank Jesus for setting you free from fear and from death and from sin and to go help others. So just pray, God, set me free of the gospel. Lord, thank you for a powerful message from such a small book in the back part of the Old Testament. And thank you just for that clear truth. The righteous will live by faith. And God, as you look in this room this morning, I pray that you would see just many hearts, many eyes just looking up to you and saying, Father, we don't understand everything. God, we are hurting right now. Uh, but God, we trust you. You are good. Thank you for what Jesus has done for us. Now set us free to come alongside those who are hurting. God, may we be a church that finds life through faith in you. In your great name we pray, amen.